Hello, and welcome to the Beef Cattle Health and Nutrition Podcast, Episode 4. I'm your host, Dr. John Campbell. I'm a veterinarian and a professor at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan. I'll be interviewing researchers, veterinarians, and nutritionists on topics related to beef cattle health and production from a Canadian perspective. This week, my guest is Dr. Nathan Erickson, who's a colleague and faculty member at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine here at the University of Saskatchewan. Our topic for this episode is a discussion around vaccinations for young calves. Let's get started. Welcome to the podcast, Nathan. Great to have you here. Uh, how are things going? Oh, good. Thank you very much, Sean. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate uh, any chance I can to talk to producers. It's great. Thank you. Maybe we could start by having you tell our audience a little bit about your background. Certainly, John. Uh, so I graduated from the WCVM way back in 2005. Hard to believe it's that long ago now. But uh, and then I did a few years of mixed practice, came back and did my master's and then uh, did kind of a longer stint in uh, a practice of uh, veterinary agri health services in Airdrie, where we mostly did feedlot at that time. And then I did a bit of cow-calf practice as well. And then in 2015, I uh, decided to look for some new opportunities, and there was an opportunity to come back to WCVM in a research position. I've been in that position since 2015, and my research programs since I've been here have been mainly focusing on vaccination and preparation of the immune system in neonatal calves, so getting them ready for, for weaning, essentially. Great, and that's our topic for today's podcast. We're going to talk mostly about vaccines for young calves, but maybe first of all, we probably need to talk about what do we mean as young. Yeah, for sure, and that's that's changed a fair bit in the last few years with the advent of some uh, mucosal vaccines, which I'm sure we'll get into here in a little bit. Um, but essentially, when we're looking at young calves, uh, we're definitely talking about neonates, and neonates really for us in the in the beef side and in the dairy side even starts off right at birth. So we can look at some vaccination in calves right after after birth if we're using the appropriate vaccine for that, and then really going out to the branding season. So branding season would be spring turnout uh, for for a lot of people, and that would be when the calves are roughly. 50 days, maybe two months old, somewhere in that range. Um, and then really it's, it's getting those, those vaccines into those young calves and getting them ready to, to that next phase, which is then going to be weaning, which they're still young calves at that, that time point, but they're a little bit different immunologically once we get out to six months. And what sort of diseases then are we usually vaccinating these calves for? And obviously that's going to vary depending on the farm and the situation, but what are the general categories that we're covering? Yeah, certainly it does does vary. Uh, so we could be vaccinating our young calves um, even for uh, scours. Uh, so some of our scours vaccines, we do administer those to, to calves. That wouldn't be the largest uh probably proportion of the of the calf herd that we would be vaccinating against uh, scours. We usually vaccinate the dam there for uh, control in the calves. But if we're looking at them then the number one disease in 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 our cattle is is going to be that post weaning uh, BRD so bovine respiratory disease pneumonia shipping fever uh, there's a lot of different terms for it but that would be one where we're going to start preparing these young calves for weaning and so we're going to be vaccinating them against things uh, different bacteria manheimia for example pastorella and then we'll also be vaccinating against uh, viruses that are also um, 
implicated in BRD, such as uh, bovine respiratory syncytial virus, which maybe some people are familiar with, respiratory syncytial virus in humans, which we're having a problem with right now. It's a similar virus that actually affects cattle and has been around in cattle for a long, long time. And then uh, IBR and uh, coronavirus, bovine coronavirus, completely different from human coronavirus, not related, um, but uh, definitely would be one that we might look at. And um, BVD, types 1 and 2, and uh, there's influenza virus. And then that's just talking about respiratory disease, really, but we would be vaccinating these calves also. Uh, for protection against different types of clostridial diseases. So most people would probably be familiar with black leg. So we might say we're black legging our calves, um, but usually that has a, a variety of other clostridial pathogens, for example, um, a tetanus uh, maybe in that vaccine as well. Obviously, some of those vaccines are going to be pretty common across most herds and others are going to depend on the risk and the management and some of those issues as well. Yeah, exactly. So we all know vaccines are pretty important for helping us uh, create immunity in these animals, but maybe we need to step back and talk about the immune system in general. So how does that immune system in young calves actually develop? Yeah, for sure. The immune system in, in the calf is, is, is a little bit different from some of our other domesticated animals and definitely different than humans. Uh, one thing that's interesting about the about calves is that they are born without any antibody and they really can't produce antibody for a few uh, uh, for a few weeks. Um, that's not to say that their immune system isn't ready to go. Uh, it is built, it is ready to go. It's just not completely primed yet. So what makes calf a little bit different is they don't have any antibody or systemic antibody I should say. So that's antibody that would be in the bloodstream. Um, but they do acquire that and they get that through nursing of colostrum. So I'm sure many of you will have your vets talking to you about colostrum and saying how important it is for the calves to nurse that colostrum within the first few hours of life. And that's because that colostrum is filled with uh, what's called IgG, which is a particular type of antibody. And that can uh, essentially absorb into the into the bloodstream, gets into the circulation, and, and that gives that calf its immunity, um, or that, at least that type of immunity, for the first few months of life. And, and that can extend out to even six months in some of our calves before they, they lose all of that antibody from their system. Okay, so that, that's what we call maternal immunity. And, and mm-hmm. I expect, like you said, most producers are pretty familiar with us harping about how important colostrum is uh, in those calves that gives them their initial protection. So how long does that last exactly? It starts to, it starts to fade, uh, and when does that probably takes a period of time and might change according to the, to the uh, various pathogens' immunity, but how, how long does that actually last? Yeah, that can last uh, variable lengths of time, like you were saying. Um, and depending on the virus we're looking at, we probably know most of what it, with our respiratory viruses, where we would have the most details on it. So with regards to those, um, it's anywhere, if, if you look, say, at BRSV, so bovine respiratory syncytial virus, that can uh, remain at protective levels out to three to five months. So there is quite a bit of variability. The variability there really... Uh, depends on what their initial concentration is, so what the, that amount of colostrum that they got or how much antibody was actually in there. So it will, will help uh, kind of 
define how how long it's going to remain. If you if you're at a higher starting concentration, then it's going to remain for a longer period of time. And each cow doesn't have necessarily the same concentration of antibody in their colostrum. Um, it just kind of depends on a number of different factors, including age of the dam. So uh, younger half or younger cattle, so our first calf heifers are going to have poor quality colostrum. So presumably their calves may have a shorter duration of immunity. Um, but then if we look at another virus like BVD, it's not uncommon for BVD type 1 or type 2 for the concentrations there to last out six, even to eight months where they still have concentrations circulating that could potentially be protective in the in the bloodstream. Um, and uh, so it will be decreasing through that whole time period because they, they talk about something called a half-life. So the antibody has something called a half-life. So duration of time to where its concentration goes down in half. And that's going to be variable again for each one of the viruses. That's why we have a little bit of variation as well in the, in the length of time. But it can be anywhere, um, like I say, from three months to six, even eight months, depending on the virus that we're looking at. Why do we worry about maternal immunity when we start thinking about vaccinating calves? Do we have to do we have to worry about that or is that an issue at all? Yeah, for sure. We definitely need to have that as a concern. So the one thing I always want to preface whenever I'm talking with my producers that I work with about this is that we want to have maternal antibody. We need that to be the highest that it that we can get it to be. So we really desire that to be high. That being said, there is a negative consequence of it. And it's it's um, really a negative consequence because we are trying to vaccinate the cattle. It's not a negative consequence because of anything naturally in the animal. It's because of a human intervention that we're trying right. to do. So we're trying to get these calves uh, vaccinated and, and getting them to have an immune response. Problem is when we have these high concentrations of maternal antibody, they're there, they're doing their job, right? And we want them to do their job. But unfortunately, their job is to neutralize viruses um, or other bacteria or bacteria. And when we're administering vaccines, they're going to interfere with the vaccines. Many of our vaccines are modified live va virus vaccines. So they have virus in it that we need it to replicate in order to get a good immune response. But the maternal antibody is gonna recognize that as a foreign invader and is potentially going to partially, if not fully neutralize it. So we don't get a good uh, response to the vaccine. There's a little bit of variability in terms of, you know, different parts of the immune system. Uh, we definitely don't get a good antibody response, uh, but there is other parts of the immune system that may still respond, but we don't expect in calves that have high maternal antibody to get a very good protective response. Now, luckily, the maternal antibody is still there to protect the calves, but we're not quite getting the protective response that we may expect. So it becomes a question of priming rather than a question of um, eliciting a, a, a protective response at that point. And that maternal immunity is going to fade. So if mm -hmm. they don't get the chance to sort of prime their own immune system, then then the vaccine may not have given us quite as much benefit as we hoped. It may still give some benefits, like you said, for the sort of other side of the immune system other than yeah. antibodies. Yeah, and if they happen to be uh, have low maternal immunity, we definitely do know that those calves will respond to the vaccine. So if they happen right. to be had poor quality colostrum um, and they have lower antibody levels already, they'll get a, a response to it. Yeah, for sure. So we have these two different ways of administering vaccines to young calves. Um, 
either injectable or systemic vaccines that most producers are probably familiar with, and then intranasal vaccines, which are relatively newer, although they've been around for a little while. Tell us about how those two methods differ beyond the route of administration in terms of stimulated immunity. Yeah, for sure. So intranasal vaccines, um, as the name implies, they're administered or delivered intranasally. Uh, so that makes the vaccine or the vaccine response quite a bit different than an injectable vaccine. So we're looking at priming or inducing immunity in two different parts of the immune system we're looking at intranasal versus injectable we're looking at intranasal it's more of a local response that we're looking for so there's quite a bit of immune tissue in the uh, upper respiratory tract of calves or of any animal really and what we're doing with the intranasal vaccine is we're stimulating a, uh, a local immune response so we're stimulating that tissue and we're going to get an antibody response uh, and I know I said that we're not getting antibody response in the in when we have maternal antibodies but this one what we're looking at is we're getting something called an IgA response and IgA is mucosal antibody and that will be protective so here with intranasal vaccines we would expect to get a protective response even in the face of these maternal antibodies so circulating maternal antibodies that are present so we should get a, a good response uh, uh, to the vaccine and protection for the calf um, for a period of time versus an injectable vaccine versus an injectable vaccine, which is going to uh, elicit a systemic response. So what we're looking at is essentially um, activating lymph nodes, for example, and getting those cells growing and responding to the vaccine. And it's that part that is going to be blocked by maternal antibodies. So that's a, a large difference between the two. Duration can be different as well between the two vaccines. Um, in terms of how long they're going to last if we do get a, a, a good immune response. And then also priming. There is some evidence that we do get some memory building as well from our intranasal vaccines. But really when we're looking for a memory response, so meaning that the immune system gets exposed to that virus at some point down the line again in time, that uh, we really get a better memory response when we get good activation of the systemic system versus um, the mucosal through intranasal vaccination. Okay, so that, that memory system is kind of the immune system's way of recognizing a bacteria or virus mm -hmm. that it's seen before, mm -hmm. and then it can respond quick, more quickly with generating, creating antibodies in the system for yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. So intranasal has some advantages. It, it might give us a little better response in, in the face of this maternal immunity. Mm -hmm. And it also gives us a response at kind of the site of infection or where where the port of entry is for some of these pathogens? Yeah, so what we're doing is we're, we're priming that upper respiratory tract and the upper respiratory tract is the gatekeeper. So there's a lot of different parts of the immune system. There's uh, something called innate immunity as well and that's always going to be active. It's just uh, parts of the immune system that are always there. So it can be even things like mucosal hair, um, different types of cells that uh, trap pathogens. But then there's also going to be uh, immune tissue in there as well. And that's what we're trying to activate in that in that local area up in the, in the respiratory tract. And so what we can potentially do is stop infection in the upper respiratory tract before it even has a chance to get down into the lower respiratory tract, which would be the lungs. Okay, and, and you mentioned that the intranasal vaccines, their duration of immunity 
is sometimes thought to be a little bit shorter. What yeah. are the practical implications of that? Yeah. Yeah. And there, I think there still needs to be some, some better duration of immunity studies done for intranasal vaccines. There has been a little bit of work done, but it's, it's something that's, it's lacking in, in some ways. Um, duration is going to change depending on which virus we're looking at. Again, the, the two that we do know a little bit of something about would be IBR and BRSV, so bovine respiratory syncytial virus and infectious bovine rhinotracheitis. With uh, IBR, it tends to be a little bit longer, the duration of immunity. I believe it's out to four or five months. Um, so it does have not bad duration of immunity. But if we think about it, if we are vaccinating the calf when it's 50 days old, let's say, chances are that is going to wane. So that intranasal or that mucosal immunity is probably going to wane or be at a very low point by the time we get to the high risk period which would be when the calves are six seven months old when we're when we're weaning them so that is one of the risks associated with it is we don't really have a long-standing immunity from say spring turnout branding season all the way out to maybe that high risk period so that means that we really do need to boost that immunity at, at some point and then if we look at brsv it's even shorter uh, that one we kind of have a little bit of idea of the duration of immunity it, it's it's around three three months is what we think yeah so shorter than than ibr again and and so yeah that booster issue is important for both vaccines we shouldn't minimize no. that it we have to booster some of those systemic one systemic or injectable ones as well yes uh it it might be more important if we're vaccinating very young calves right so closer to birth or something like that it's it becomes even yes. more of an issue there yeah i wouldn't say that if we're vaccinating our calves with an intranasal vaccine say at birth within 24 hours or three days of age whatever it happens to be um they definitely should be boosted and should be boosted at that spring turnout kind of time frame or three months of age somewhere around there uh they definitely will need will need that booster for sure what do we know about the protection this these vaccines provide to the calf pre-weaning so we see some herds with with pneumonia in younger calves you know two months to maybe sometimes just before weaning or sometimes we call it summer pneumonia uh, do these vaccines actually protect the calf for the, against that or do they just sort of prime them for this post weaning response yeah, for sure. That's a good question because, you know, it, it can sound like we're getting fairly down on, on our vaccines and, and what kind of response we expect out of them um, overall. But there is some good evidence for some of our viruses that even if the vaccine is administered systemically, so by injection, um, in the face of maternal antibodies, so high concentrations of maternal antibodies in the bloodstream from colostrum, that these calves will get a a uh, protective, potentially protective response from a different arm of the immune system or part of the immune system, and that would be from the cell-mediated side. So it's a little bit different than antibody, but it does seem like we do get a cell-mediated response, uh, particularly for some viruses like BBD and uh, bovine, or sorry, um, IBR, uh, infectious bovine rhinotracheitis. Uh, and then also it's important to, to, to note again with the intranasal vaccines, we do get pretty good duration of immunity. It just depends on, on when the vaccine was administered. So potentially to that pre-weaning period, we should be getting some protection from for some of those or against some of those viruses with that single dose that would be given at the, uh, at the branding or, or spring turnout time period. 
So we have a number of intranasal vaccines available here in Canada as commercial vaccines. What what do we have uh, out there right now? Yeah, uh, so there's uh, four different commercial vaccines uh, that I'm aware of right now. Uh, Inforce 3 is one, so it has uh, three different viruses in it. It has BRSV, uh, IBR, and bovine parainfluenza virus. And then there is another uh, intranasal vaccine, which is quite similar. Um, it's called Bovillus nasalgen 3 PMH. So it has the same three viruses that I mentioned for Inforce, and then it has the addition of what they call a avirulent live culture, some bacteria. And those are uh, Pastrella maltosa and Mannheimia hemolytica are the two that are in, in that vaccine. And then we have a single standalone uh, BRSV vaccine, so bovine respiratory syncytial virus vaccine called NASM. Um, and then there is, for control of uh, diarrhea, neonatal diarrhea, there's another vaccine called Bovillus coronavirus, and that's given to calves or administered to calves, again, at a young age, so within 24 hours of birth, uh, for the control of, uh, of diarrhea due to coronavirus. And, and again, that's what we have available right now. That could change. Uh, vaccines come and go, but uh, that's, that's what we know right now is November uh, 2022. Um, maybe we want to talk briefly about what the best practices are when we administer intranasal vaccines. Most producers are probably familiar with giving an injectable vaccine, but some out there may never have used those vaccines before. So mm -hmm. are there some tips we need to know when we're given intranasal? Yeah, for sure. I guess one thing um, I always like to talk about when we're, when we're looking at these modified live virus vaccines is making sure that we're handling them appropriately. And all of these vaccines are modified live virus. So that means that we are depending on that virus to be alive after we administer it so that it replicates and then elicits an immune response. Um, we can do a lot of things to to kill that virus. Um, one, we could mix too much vaccine um, before we are going to administer it. So we only want to mix what we can use within about an hour um, and, and no more than that. Uh, if we have it uh, mixed for a longer period of time, then we will get uh, poor and poor survivability of that of that virus within that uh, within the bottle. We also have to be careful with heat on those bottles, especially once we mix it. But even before we mix it, we don't want to have direct heat applied because that could kill the uh, the virus vaccine as well. And extreme cold. When we mix the vaccines, we have to mix the vaccines just like a, other modified live. We have a powder cake and we have. Um, a liquid vial, put that liquid into the powder cake and then just gently roll it to mix it up. You don't want to vigorously shake it because vigorous shaking can again disrupt that vaccine a virus and, and kill it. Um, prolonged exposure to UV light too after it's mixed can be a problem. And um, and then one thing that many people might not think about is just maintenance of your syringes, making sure that we clean those syringes just with, with warm water, not uh, putting any sort of astringents or soaps or anything like that in there because they can leave residues and the residues in the syringes could also disrupt the amount of live virus that's in that, uh, in that dose that you're giving to that calf. Now, specifically to intranasal vaccines, we want to make sure that we use the cannulas um, that are provided. So they should provide cannulas to put onto the end of the of the syringe. And those and you are insert... just little plastic tips? Yeah, so they're just little plastic tips rather than needles. And they are technically reusable between calves. Um, if we are administering the vaccine to calves that are 
it was 60 days of age, so spring turnout kind of time. Um, probably 10 calves per, per cannula, same as what you would do for needles is what you would want. But if we are vaccinating neonatal calves, young calves, we'll want to vaccinate them just with a single cannula. Each calf should get a different cannula. Uh, there's a higher risk of transmitting disease between calves, so we need to be cautious with that. And what's nice is when we're administering at birth like that, you know, there's not going to be many calves you're going to be vaccinating each day. They come in single-dose vials, so you should be able to just pull up what you need for, for each calf. Um, if we're doing that at 24 hours, it's good to let that calf dry off, um, nurse, get all of its colostrum. Don't go in and interfere with it until after all that's done. So we should really wait for sure, you know, that 24 hours, making sure that calf is up and, and viable and, and has nursed uh, its colostrum before we go and try to vaccinate it. Um, and then... Uh, holding the head right? you don't want to hold the head too high up you want to kind of keep the head level insert that cannula all the way to the nostril there's a little collar on it so once you get up to that collar it's um it's time to press the plunger and, and then spray that vaccine you are going to get leak back and you're going to get a little few drops come out and that's not a big deal it's aerosolizing it into the nostril so there is more than enough vaccine and, and virus in there to to elicit an immune response Great. Well, and, and all those tips that you gave at the start about modified live vaccines, they'd apply to injectable vaccines just, mm -hmm. just as well. You know, every time I talk to you about vaccines, uh, I just realize how complicated the immune system is and how, how uh, difficult it is to understand all of this. How would a producer go about deciding what type of vaccines they should be using their calves and when they should be administered? Should it be intranasal? Should it be injectable? Uh, how are they going to work their way through that? Yeah, for sure. And that's uh, it is a complicated question in and of itself. Um, definitely, I, I recommend working closely with your veterinarian to design a program that's going to fit your herd. And I personally, I don't like the idea of a blanket vaccination programs. I don't think one vaccine program fits every single herd. So you're going to have, I think, unique um, issues, history in each herd. Also, each herd is going to have a different reason for wanting to vaccinate and expectations of vaccines. So I think we need to think about all of those things um, before we, we decide on, on what we're going to be utilizing for, for a vaccine. I think if the ultimate goal is protection of these calves post weaning, uh, you know, my my research and, and my bias is, is leaning more and more, more, and more towards um, priming these calves with a mucosal vaccine and then boostering them with a systemic vaccine. It appears that that gives a, a good robust immune response. It appears that it gives better immunity uh, or sorry, better memory to that immune system as well. And it seems like even though it's an addition of an, an extra vaccination, if we do administer uh, intranasal vaccine at about 24 months of age and then booster that at about spring turnout, we get a much better response in the calves at, uh, at weaning time to that next vaccine. It seems like that intranasal vaccine does provide some memory that then follows through. So it's, it's really about programming that calf's immune system all the way through to the high-risk period, and that high-risk period is going to be um, the, uh, the post-weaning period for respiratory disease specifically. Right, and and ultimately they they need to work with a veterinarian who can help advise them. Correct. Mm -hmm. That that's really um, 
really on, the only yeah. way for somebody to get a handle of what they actually need for their particular herd, especially in terms of timing and mm-hmm. and uh, which type of vaccine to use. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And then, I mean, you may have some underlying disease problems, right? And working through those disease issues, uh, doing a, a proper workout beforehand, because it could be potential that the pathogen that is causing your problem maybe isn't in the vaccine that you've decided to use, right? So you're not going to get any sort of um, benefit from that vaccine program. So really need to tailor it towards the that that history and, and the person that's going to know your history besides yourself is going to be your veterinarian. And, and it's important to work with them to make those decisions based on that. Great. Uh, Good advice. Thanks, Nathan. Uh, Thanks so much for doing the podcast today. And uh, I hope I can get you back to do another one down the road sometime. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. That's our show for this week. Thanks for listening. And thanks again to my guest, Dr. Nathan Erickson. Thank you as well to our sponsors, the Alberta Beef Producers and the Beef Cattle Research Council. Please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions or comments or would like to suggest topics that you'd like to see covered in future episodes, please email us at bchnpodcast at gmail.com. That's bchnpodcast at gmail.com. Take care until next time.